Welcome to the Geneva Center for Security Policy podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Vallée, and I am an associate fellow with the GCSP's Global Fellowship Initiative. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I look forward to exploring some of the latest global issues affecting peace, security, and international cooperation with you over the next 13 weeks uh, as we make this podcast a weekly event speaking with subject matter experts. In this week's episode, our first, we will speak with David Harbin. David Horbin is the head of the crisis management cluster of the GCSP. With more than 25 years of ex- operational experience, in particular as the uh, director of the operations team for the uh, UK Department for International Development in 2003-2006, and then heading the rapid deployment unit and later the crisis management uh, and security department for the International Committee of the uh, Red Cross between 2006 and 2017 when he joined the GCSP. And I'd also like to uh, point out that uh, David will be participating in two forthcoming crisis management courses at the GCSP in March and in May uh, of this year, 2021. So thank you very much, David, for agreeing to uh, appear on our show. Uh, We're looking forward to uh, uh, talking to you about what has been a quite momentous year, I think, for all exper- uh, experienced crisis management professionals. Uh, as you know, we're marking almost the uh, first anniversary these uh, few days and coming weeks of uh, the outbreak of the uh, coronavirus pandemic in Europe, especially, and the, uh, the start of the uh, lockdown regimes in uh, most of the European countries. And uh, so, of course, uh, we're looking forward to uh, using this uh, perhaps uh, uh, one year's worth of lessons that you may be able to uh, talk to us about. So my first question to uh, you uh, was about precisely what lessons have been learned uh, in matters of a sanitary early warning and first response. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, and a pleasure to be here and to talk about, uh, yeah, probably the biggest crisis that uh, any of us have uh, had to 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 deal with uh, in certainly uh, certainly a generation and probably a hundred years. I think everybody has been suffering from this in one form and one shape or another. And indeed, we have been very busy at GCSP, talking to and reviewing and researching um, the crisis management aspects of uh, of COVID uh, for the last uh, for the last twelve months. And we've probably been speaking and discussing with uh, many hundreds of uh, crisis managers um, from government, from international organizations, from the private sector around their kind of experiences and their feelings uh, on this crisis. So to answer your question or to try to answer your your first question um, in terms of lessons learned, um, I would say that, well, it started but it's not concluded. And I still, you know, we're not out of this uh, crisis yet as we speak, um, but there is at least hope on the horizon. There is an end state on the horizon, and that's already a very good thing, which was not really the case, say, six months ago, when everybody was still struggling with uh, how vaccines were um, going to be developed and then distributed. Um, That being said, I think that we can begin to draw some lessons learned. Uh, And I would say um, that it depends a little bit on your perspective. Who are you? Are you a citizen in Europe? Are you a citizen in the United States? Are you a citizen in Africa or in 
Vietnam and so on, you will have a slightly different perspective. Or are you a government authority um, in, in any different country or indeed an international organization, a multilateral organization? So people's lessons learning process and lessons learning will be somewhat dependent on your, you know, on who you are and where you are. That being said, I think that there are uh, one or two one or two lessons that we can think about. Firstly, I think is um, that the, the, the issue of resilience of organizations and indeed of individuals to face such a pandemic has been a massive challenge. Just a couple of days ago, I was uh, also in a conference uh, looking at some of these lessons learned. And as well, across the crisis management community, there is a lot of thinking about, you know, what do we mean by resilience? And perhaps we could conclude that the decades that we've had of talking about resilience and thinking that we had resilience have proven to be um, unfounded. And I think one of the reasons for that is that um, our approach, our mindset around resilience has been one dominated by efficiency and, shall we say, low-cost resilience, whether it be supply chains, whether it be capacity and capability from a technical level, or indeed whether it be about the preparedness of the population and leadership. It has been, yeah, indeed what I would call a kind of low-cost, efficiency-driven approach to resilience. And that is going to need to be rethought. Um, It may be needed that we have to think about resilience in a slightly different way. So that's the first thing, a rethinking of what we mean by resilience and moving away from low-cost resilience into what I would call proper uh, social and organizational resilience, including enhancing technical capabilities and competencies. The second thing I would say in terms of lessons learned is that trust has taken a big hit at all sorts of different levels, at a community level, at a, at a kind of political level, at a leadership level. And building trust or rebuilding trust is going to be a big challenge for the next crisis that may come along to face us, whatever that may be. And let's just recall that as far as this type of pandemic is concerned, COVID SARS-2 is, is something that was foreseen. It's not something that happened out of the blue. Um, it was on the risk registers of many different countries uh, for quite a few years. Um, and so it was not the uh, disease itself that came uh, to cause such uh, heavy impact, but rather how we have handled and managed this, this disease. So that, that, that in itself is, is worth reflecting upon. Unfortunately, it, has not, it, it did not have, for example, the mortality rate of something like Ebola, but you know, it was new in terms of its uh, level of uh, contagion and indeed the way that it uh, spread out so fiercely and widely across the globe. And we, we wait to see what lessons can be drawn, uh, can be drawn about the, the kind of origins and the early day management of this uh, crisis. And I think that's, uh, that will be an important uh, uh, lesson learned uh, eventually. So trust, trust has taken a big hit. At a conference a few months ago, a colleague was referring to the work of Durkheim, who was one of the mm. sort of founding fathers of the social order back in around 1893 or something like that. And he had this notion of anomie, 
which some of you may be uh, familiar with, whereby um, this is the impact on the population of um, of, of a citizen of feeling uh, a feeling of uh, worthlessness, uh, not being valued, and that this leads to a sense of um, nihilism. And I think this is a this is a very important factor that uh, that leaders need to think about because you know the the consequences of that. Post-COVID, post-trust thinking will impact us for the next uh, for the next major major crisis that we have. I think we can also see, in terms of lessons learned about how, in this highly connected world with lots of interdependencies, whether it be at a technical level or an organisational level, that this can prove to be a weakness and a challenge to 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 effective crisis management. And that too needs to be needs to be thought about. So those would be a kind of three lessons learned that I would um, you know kind of immediately identify. A link to that first one around resilience. I would also say that countries and organisations need to have a think about how much time and effort and depth are they really putting into preparing for the next uh, major crisis. This whether it's around identifying the, the associated risks, whether it's about developing effective scenarios um, and contingency plans, whether it's about uh, training and reviewing and learning uh, from the past. Because for me, the big danger is that uh, even after this COVID, when we begin to draw out of it, and it'll be different times for different countries, which is another issue, uh, it is really important that we do learn from these lessons. And the danger is that we'll be so grateful that we're out of it that we'll forget about the lessons learned. Um, well, to follow up with this, um, of course, you uh, rightly reminded us that perspective is, a, of course, a major uh, factor uh, in how uh, these uh, lessons have been perceived. And, uh, of course, uh, it uh, can depend uh, where you're located in the world. Also, of course, uh, uh, where you're coming from, whether an organization or a uh, country government, of course, uh, belong to the private or the, to the uh, public sphere. And I was wondering, since you know we have this discussion about you know the, the importance of, of actually learning on the lessons, is it identified at this moment perhaps whether some actors uh, have been quicker to uh, uh, act upon uh, the lessons and identifying them at first, or uh, uh, or are others a little bit slower and uh, off the mark on this? Well, I think I think we're all aware that different countries have approached um, their management of the COVID crisis in in a different ways. Um, I, I don't think there's any two countries who've done it in the same way. But you have those countries who have had previous experience of this type of pandemic, epidemic in the past. And I'm thinking of, uh, in particular, in uh, Southeast Asia and so forth, um, in, you know, Vietnam, Korea, where they have learned from the past and um, have applied those uh, those learnings into dealing with this uh, particular crisis. And, and that's not only in terms of how the government have reacted, but also how the population have reacted. And, and others have, others have uh, not really uh, drawn upon some of those lessons. You know, there are still countries, as we speak now, that are still denying that even COVID exists. You have such a huge variety of uh, approaches to, to dealing with this. And I still think that uh, 
from a public health perspective, we're not out of this yet. And, uh, you know, there is still more data to gather, more information to gather. But certainly we've seen a, very, a great variety of uh, approaches and methods. I think we also have to think about um, how did the big multilaterals, you know, what's the role of the big multilaterals in this? I mean, we've seen in Europe the big challenges that, for example, the European Commission have faced in, in, in terms of uh, vaccines following mm-hmm. certain decisions that were made. And uh, that is, uh, that, that's been a problem. So how can we, can we learn from, from these? Is that the most appropriate methodolo- methodology and approach to, for example, uh, vaccine procurement and distribution? I think the, the other thing is to examine the way that different, different countries work. You know, is a centralized system better than a federated or regionalized system? There seems to be um, a kind of pros and cons for each of that. And, and again, I think that's something that countries will need to, to, to evaluate and assess as part of their review of their own, uh, their own resilience. I think the, the other thing that we, we really do need to, 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 to consider, though, in, in, in talking about this is, and we mustn't lose sight of that, is just the fantastic work that's been done by the scientists and the epidemiologists in terms of getting these different vaccines with the new technology. And at the pace that they have done that is quite remarkable. It can take often many, many years to develop vaccines. And, you know, we still have no vaccines for, for many things, malaria and so forth, HIV. But we must not lose sight of just the brilliant work that's been done by those, uh, by those organizations and those uh, individuals. But it's, of course, it's, it's been a, an approach that um, is also rather unique instead of, rather, uh, instead of a kind of linear approach to developing um, a, a vaccine, uh, step one, step two, funding, approval, and so forth. Things have been done in parallel, which has enabled the development of these vaccines, and and that and that's a, and that's a really great thing. And again, governments and and indeed some multilateral organisations are also help develop that uh, that approach. So let's also learn from the positive side, both in terms of the technology and in the methodology of developing uh, uh, vaccines. Uh, indeed, uh, important to stress the, the positive side. Um, and as you also reminded us that, uh, of course, uh, no actor has uh, done uh, or, or acted to the uh, crisis in any uh, single way. Among the lessons learned, have, have there also been identifications of uh, uh, what seem to uh, uh, be definitely considered as either mistakes or flaws in approaches? And eventually, of course, uh, to uh, draw up the corrective measures towards this. I mean, I, I think, you know, we, we have a short memory. Uh, we're living from almost day to day or week to week at the moment. But, um, you know, if we go back to, to, back to the early days, and, and I come back to my, to the, my point about trust and how, the, how things are communicated to the, to, the, to, the, to the general public. I mean, there was a lot of confusion, for example, about you know, usage, usage of masks, you know, which type of mask and how useful is it? There, there, was, there was a lot of confusion about um, social distancing. And there still is a lot of confusion about, you know, for example, the risks associated with uh, uh, the kids going to school and, and this, kind of, uh, this kind of thing. And that, that, that started, that kind of, those kind of debatable issues started right from, from the outset, which I think put a lot of things on a, on a, 
not necessarily on, on, on a great footing as far as the uh, general public was concerned. And of course, countries have, in, in terms of their different approaches, and I don't just mean from a public health perspective, but certain countries have taken this, what I would call this kind of polarity of having to make a decision based on public health and scientific guidance versus the balance that they've had to do with the impact that that has on the on the economy for example mm. and i think politicians have been challenged to to navigate their way along the cursor of decisions based on those objectives and again i think that needs a little bit uh, uh, that needs a little bit of um, reflection from from that so that aspect of these polarities that leaders have faced. And I don't say for one minute that it's been easy. I think it has been a challenge. We need to recognize that the challenge. You know, I hear the phrase where well, we need to go with the data and we need to listen to the scientific evidence. But sometimes that evidence has not necessarily been conclusive or clear. And at the end of the day, politicians have to decide and scientists advise. And balancing that that balancing act between the scientific evidence and the uh, for example, the, uh, the economic um, impact um, has, been a, has been a challenge. What was perhaps underestimated was some of the unintended consequences of this disease in terms of uh, yeah, its effect on the population, whether that be um, around secondary, uh, secondary public health issues, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people not going to a hospital uh, for, for cancer early warning uh, mm. because they were afraid uh, isolation of certain areas of the population you know i've had that had that personally you know being unable to see a loved one for for many many months has has a, a dramatic uh, uh, um, dramatic um, social consequences uh, similarly for the kids not being able to 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 get to school so some of these um, again these ch- these challenges these polarities if you wish these tricky conundrums, uh, I think, will be uh, definitely uh, important to put into the mix of, of lessons learned. And, uh, well, uh, my next question, uh, as far as the um, uh, crisis management community uh, is uh, concerned and you know, what you uh, hear from your contacts with your colleagues and so on, have they been struck by, uh, indeed, uh, the, uh, the way countries have actually uh, been going about their uh, uh, preferred scenarios? Uh, in, in other ways, is, is sanitary crisis management going into a more national or sometimes uh, local individual mode? Or is there still a trend towards building a more collective or more transnational uh, kind of crisis management when faced with a crisis of this type? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, governments are responsible and accountable for their uh, safety and well-being of their population. And I think that where we are currently with uh, with with COVID, with you know a light on the horizon, uh, at least in certain parts of the world in terms of the vaccine, that uh, that governments have assumed um, assumed that that responsibility at a national level, and there can be other drivers to that. There can be different political agendas, or if you if you wish, we can call it like self-interest agendas that are that come into play in that in that decision-making process. And I, and I do think that um, there will need to be a rethinking, a recalibration of uh, did was it right for for countries to 
um, to put their kind of national interest and the national perspectives um, ahead of, of more multilateral or more, more global perspectives. Mm. And are those institutions and bodies that are tasked to, to under, undertake that, for example, are they suitably supported, funded, qualified, and have the necessary, both technically and legally, to, to do that? You know, we can look at the, um, you know, the problems that are uh, around, you know, border measures, trolls, countries that have tended to, to deal with the crisis more robustly have closed their borders have basically not had any international travel, with a few exceptions, for many, many months. Um, and they seem to have survived better. But is that the solution? Um, again, there was different advice given about that right at the beginning of the, of the outbreak. It has uh, unintended consequences as well, both in terms of uh, the economy, the airline industry, tourism industry, and, uh, and, and that's been also part of the kind of balance of conundrums. But I do think, Paul, in terms of your question, that the tendency has been to divert to national interests first, rightly or wrongly, uh, but that, that has been the default position. And uh, perhaps well, my, my final question uh, would uh, be around, uh, you know, still revolving around the uh, the lessons. Um, and that would be whether, you know, the management of this particular pandemic uh, crisis, uh, have the uh, lessons in crisis management also been applicable to other types of uh, health crises that uh, would develop not around, of course, a, a transnational viral outbreak, but uh, uh, affect other issues of, that we can recognize as a, uh, uh, as a more transnational or, or a global health crisis or, or uh, something uh, like an, an, an environmental challenge that affects public health. From the crisis management community, often I hear the kind of phrase, well, um, bad as it has been, this has been a warning shot. Um, and that we need to be far better prepared uh, and aware of um, the, the issues around risk and resilience and, and indeed leadership and trust for the future, and that the world needs to kind of really sit up and take notice of this. Um, and I sincerely hope it does. I think, I, I think that I don't know how many governments actually had a crisis management expert in their principal decision-making body. Uh, was it, you know, purely politics and science? Were experienced, knowledgeable crisis management uh, experts adequately engaged into uh, into government decision-making bodies? I'm hearing different things, but the tendency from what I can sense is that, uh, no, this hasn't happened. And then mm. you ask the question, you know, are those leaders really suitably trained and equipped um, in terms of crisis management to uh, to make the right decisions. Of course, we will always be in a crisis, um, making decisions in complexity and ambiguity and uncertainty. Those are some of the sort of principal tenets of a crisis, and that can be challenging. But you know, you can learn skills and tools and methods and techniques to to try at least to 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 mitigate. Uh, some of those uh, decisional risks, as well as to enhance your preparedness. Uh, you know, one comes to mind that I think, again, has been undervalued and underplayed in COVID is the notion of um, uh, what some experts have been talking, forward-thinking cells or rapid reflection cells, which is really you know, looking ahead from where you are in this current crisis to see what 
could go wrong um, in a more coherent and um, structured manner. And then looking and trying to identify those soft signals, those more complex issues to identify, looking ahead and looking around. And, you know, that's typically uh, one role of a, of a crisis manager. Uh, and I think there needs to be some reflection about, uh, about that capability within, uh, uh, within government and organizational decision-making bodies. Well, I, I think you've given us a quite all-rounded uh, perspective and, and, and uh, luckily reminded us that, uh, of course, uh, the lessons are a process that is ongoing and that, that there's uh, always a, a time to uh, fine-tune our analyses and, and understanding uh, of, of these events. So I want to thank you very much for uh, joining us on uh, today's, uh, today's show. This is going to be, of course, uh, what we have for uh, today's episode. Along with this, uh, I want to thank our listeners for uh, joining us again. Uh, you can listen to us again next week to hear all about the uh, latest insights on international peace and security, uh, as in the same way that today we discuss crisis management around the COVID-19 uh, pandemic crisis. So don't forget to uh, subscribe to us on Anchor FM, Apple iTunes, follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. I'm Paul Vallée with the Geneva Center for Security Policy. And until next time, bye for now.